This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. When I watched Joe Biden give a speech like the one he gave Thursday, pleading with Congress to enact safe gun laws because of the huge toll that mass shootings are taking on our country, I see a man doing his level best to move us in the right direction. He projects a straightforward, old-school patriotism that, like him or not, you can respect. I've been in this fight for a long time. I know how hard it is, but I'll never give up. And if Congress fails, I believe this time a majority of the American people won't give up either. I believe the majority of you will act to turn your outrage into making this issue central to your vote. Enough. Enough, enough. What I don't see is a cult forming around him of half-witted fucking sycophants begging to lick his boots and call him daddy. What has happened to the Republicans is perhaps Donald Trump's greatest grift. He has corrupted the entire party, taken their conservative values, and flushed them right down his fucking gold-plated toilet, both morally and ethically bankrupted every single branch of government that he touched and robbed the people who worship him of what's left of their God-fearing minds. The cult of Donald Trump is uh, best described as him, first of all, as the absolute leader who demands total obedience, who has a malignant narcissist personality, which is the stereotypical profile, by the way, of other cult leaders. Trump is a cult leader like none other. He likes the money, sure, and he likes the power too, but chaos is his brand. Which might explain how far-right shitstirer Steve Bannon's precinct strategy has gained so much traction so quickly. The GOP is reportedly preparing to sow chaos in the 2020 election by creating an army of poll workers and Republican lawyers to challenge voters in Democratic precincts, targeting specifically black and low-income neighborhoods. According to Politico, the Republican National Committee has been recruiting and training poll watchers to contest votes and built a network of party-friendly attorneys to back them up. In a stunning piece of reporting, Politico has uncovered tapes of Republican operatives strategizing on how to overturn votes in Democratic precincts. The idea uh, is to install party-trained volunteers prepared to challenge voters at Democratic-majority polling places and then to back up those party-trained poll workers with a, quote, army of party-friendly lawyers. Those folks are largely QAnon, uh, election deniers, folks who think the election was corrupted, who are now going to be trained as poll workers, sitting there having their hands on the ballots, taking in the information from the voters. All this is a direct result of the big lie. Republicans believing that Biden stole the 2020 election are now more than happy to take matters into their own hands. This fight fire with fire ploy illustrates the extent to which the GOP is willing to compromise our free and fair election process to get their own desired candidates into office. The scheme goes like this. RNC-trained poll watchers and precinct officers posing as civic-minded volunteers will intervene to block vote counts at their precincts and then call lawyers who are on standby to shut the whole precinct down, leaving the outcome to be litigated in the courts. 
Judges will then become the last line of defense, calling elections like balls and strikes because the actual vote count will have been totally corrupted. And this is the thing about Republicans. They're not deterred by setbacks, right? They tried to steal the election last time, and, and what happened? Everyone laughed at them. And they could have given up, you know, and tried to win the election based solely on the strength of the ideas, but no, they got up. They dusted themselves off and they said, this time, we're not gonna need to overturn the votes because we won't count them in the first place. <laughs> and let that be a lesson, kids. You never give up on your dreams. Again, from Politico, it goes without saying that enlisting election deniers to exert influence over the voting process poses a major threat to the democratic system. You think? But it's only one of the many Republican plots to try and invalidate Democrats and independent votes. As if gerrymandering and rigged electoral maps weren't enough, in the wake of 2020, unnecessary anti-voting laws sprung up all over the country. And giving new meaning to the term sore fucking loser, GOP candidates like MAGA disaster Doug Mastriano has already said that he will not respect election results unless he wins. And so if Doug Mastriano were to become the governor of Pennsylvania, he'd be in charge of certifying the results of the 2024 presidential election here. And that is where potentially we are looking at electoral chaos in the situation that, you know, let's say a Donald Trump, uh, if he were to run again uh, and lose, and he would not validate Joe Biden or another Democrat's victory here, we are talking about a very complicated moment for our democracy here. Election denier and coup plotter Cleta Mitchell has been leading seminars on election integrity in Pennsylvania and other swing states, telling trainees, we are taking the lessons we learned in 2020 and going forward to make sure they never happen again. Mitchell is now prepping for the midterms, working with the RNC to recruit election conspiracists to monitor elections. The only way they win is to cheat, says Cleta, which is rich considering the source. President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, the day after the election, I was in Bozeman and he called me and asked if I would go to Atlanta. And so I went to Atlanta and I began to work on just looking at what had happened and what what became clear to me and our little band of volunteer attorneys uh, was that the election had been conducted in violation, in many in violation of many, many uh, of the Georgia statutes. And we ended up putting together and filing a 64 page election contest in which we identified over 30 categories of illegal votes that had been cast and counted and were included in the certified total. And there were many more illegal votes than the margin of difference between President Trump and Joe Biden. Once a liberal Democrat in Oklahoma, Cleta Mitchell morphed into an NRA-loving, arch-conservative election hawk. She and co-conspirator Jeannie Thomas, Clarence's wife, has been running around the country trying to get the 2020 election decertified and blaming the Biden administration for keeping the truth behind the 2020 election hidden. Apparently, she can't handle the truth. But look for Cleta's testimony during the January 6th hearings next week. That is, if she doesn't defy her subpoena. They'd like to ask her about the phone call that she and the former president made to Brad Raffensperger, Georgia's Secretary of State, 
asking him to find just 11,780 votes. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. This year alone, 27 states have introduced or enacted, listen to this folks, 250 pieces of bullshit legislation designed to restrict voting rights, according to the Brennan Center for Justice. All on the grounds that the 2020 election was stolen from them. Boo fucking who? It doesn't matter that there was no evidence of voter fraud and that Trump's defeat is undisputed among election officials and certified by Democrats and Republicans with recounts and audits verifying the outcome. Even fucking Bill Barr didn't find evidence of fraud. I mean, really? Trump lost more than 50 of his post-election challenges in court. It's not even up for debate. It's just a fucking fact. Well, backing the big lie has become a must for those wishing to secure the endorsement of the most powerful man in the GOP, Donald Trump. According to the Washington Post, at least 163 Republicans who have embraced Trump's false claims of a stolen election are now running for statewide offices that would give them authority over the administration of elections. And of those running for House seats, at least five were reportedly at the Capitol on January 6th. But voters are having a rough time in Georgia. Nonpartisan election officials are being stalked and threatened by rabid Republicans who call themselves the Green Party, as in the Marjorie Taylor Green Party. Black election boards who have been running elections in GOP strongholds since, literally since the civil rights era, have been kicked out and replaced by white nationalists. And spineless weasel Governor Brian Kemp is so terrified of his Democratic rival Stacey Abrams that he's cut the number of ballot boxes in half and is giving state officials the power to override county election officials. So, if he doesn't like an outcome, he just sends in his guys to overturn it. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service. Texas says its new voter suppression laws are there to maintain purity at the voter box, a term used during Jim Crow to keep black people from voting on the grounds that they were unfit to cast a ballot. Missouri and Oklahoma have enacted new laws that could easily create a pathway to overturn valid election results. And always the asshole Ron fucking DeSantis eliminated two black congressional districts in Florida and created one of the few election police forces in the country, which is vaguely reminiscent of the Nazi brown shirts who rounded up the Jews. But there's another problem brewing in Florida politics. Online sleuths, including a group called Miami Against Fascism, have identified Republican Party members who appear to be Proud Boys or men who are closely affiliated with the far right. According to the New York Times Thursday, at least a half dozen current and former Proud Boys have secured seats on the Miami-Dade Republican Executive Committee, looking to kick some ass and influence local politics from the inside, I guess. And these guys make DeSantis look like pussycats. I mean, there are a few of them who are facing criminal charges for participating in the Capitol attack, but have somehow managed to join the leadership of the party and, in some cases, even run for local office. Their presence could completely reshape the straight-laced Miami-Dade Republican Party. That is, of course, the home of Jeb Bush. 
Florida's Democratic Party is demanding an investigation into reports of possible voter registration irregularities after some people claim they were duped into changing their party affiliation. The party's chair sent a letter to Florida's Secretary of State expressing concern over reports that senior citizens in a Miami-Dade public housing complex unknowingly had their party changed after updating their voter registration with people who ended up working on behalf of the Florida Republican Party. And it comes at a time when Republicans everywhere are having to make a choice whether to pull hard to the right or restore their so-called conservative values. And once extremists get a foothold in the party, it will be hard to wrench it back from them, unless, of course, law enforcement and the courts do it for you. After the Capitol riots, they regrouped, they dissolved their national leadership and encouraged chapter members to get involved with local leadership with the goal of amassing support in advance of the midterms. Proud Boys have also been showing up at local school board meetings to protest coronavirus mask mandates and the teaching of anti-racist curriculum. And where do you think they got the inspiration to organize in this way? Well, I'll tell you, it's Steve fucking Bannon. Yeah, the same Steve Bannon who's sowing chaos at the polls with his precinct strategy. I have no doubt that Mr. Bannon's scorn for our subpoena is real. But no one, and I repeat, no one, is above the law, and we need to hear from him. Well, now it's up to the Justice Department to decide whether it will criminally prosecute Steve Bannon. Earlier today, the House Judiciary Committee questioned Attorney General Merrick Garland about what he would do. The Department of Justice will do what it always does in such circumstances. It will apply the facts and the law and make a decision consistent with the principles of prosecution. This is why you send criminals like Bannon to jail, because if you don't, they'll come back to bite you right in your fucking ass. Bannon is a dangerous man, an admitted fucking fascist, a Trump strategist, and now mentor to what might be the most radically right elected lawmakers in the country. I mean, think about it. Miami run by the Proud Boys. And if it can happen there, well... Do you want to play rough? Okay. Say hello to my little friend. Chris Barsanis, a Republican committee man and Proud Boy, said he started thinking about running for his seat about a year ago. He told the Times, and I'm going to quote, Instead of sitting on the sidelines complaining about rhinos or whatever, I realized that in order to make changes, I had to be involved and be part of the process. The Republican Party's policies are unpopular with everyone, but their base, minority rule through voter suppression, is their only path to power. Attempts to prevent some Americans from voting is part of a larger effort to erase fundamental rights and create a MAGA-esque autocracy based on, of course, white Christian nationalism. But once you add the Trump-worshipping Proud Boys into the mix, all bets are off. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to Mea Culpa our guest Norm Eisen, whose latest book, Overcoming Trumpery, is a must-read, especially as we gear up for the midterms and witness Republican candidates trying to mimic Trumpian tactics to get elected. The book also reveals the seven deadly sins of Trumpery. 
Eisen is a CNN legal analyst and the founder and executive chair of States United Democracy Center, a nonpartisan organization advancing free, fair, and secure elections. Eisen is an attorney and author who has served in a broad array of government roles, including special counsel and special assistant to President Barack Obama for ethics and government reform. In that role, Eisen was dubbed Mr. No and the Ethics Czar, well known for his tough anti-corruption approach to governance. As co-counsel on the House Judiciary Committee's first Trump impeachment, Eisen spent time with the Brookings Institute and other groups working to expose the myriad ways Trump and his cronies broke the law, not only on January 6th, but in their attempts to overturn the election as well. From exposing Trump's potential crimes in Georgia to suing the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, Eisen is a witness to history intent on making sure none of this ever happens again. Eisen has of late been increasingly busy preparing for the January 6th hearings that will begin later this week. He joins me today on Mea Culpa to give us the scoop on the committee's planned actions and intents. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norm, your latest book, Overcoming Trumpery, sort of laid out a roadmap for how we as a nation could come back from the ethics failures. And I'm saying ethics, not epic, right? Since you are the <laughs> ethics czar, but the ethics failure and complete breakdown of our systems and norms during and after the Trump era. I mean, President Biden has now signed his own executive orders on ethics, along with several other bills like the For the People Act. So if you would, Norm, tell me, how are we doing so far? Do you think that we can save democracy or are we just plain toast? <laughs> Michael, thank you for having me back on the podcast. Uh, it's always a pleasure. It's always, the pleasure is mine because, of course, your own... Um, energies and efforts and your own work are an example of the term that I use to title my book, Overcoming Trumpery. Uh, and I do, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, 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 I'm, I'm mindful, of course, of um, the people all over the country who listen to your podcast um, and, and want to understand how not okay we got trump out of the white house is, is he coming back but more fundamentally his philosophy of governance the the book is the first to say there was a method to the madness of trumpery the way the former president governed and um uh, i describe it in the book michael as the seven deadly sins of trumpery and of course you saw them all up close, it starts with the incessant lying, the attacks on the rule of law, the shamelessness, and it culminates in the assault on democracy itself. That is Trumpery. The book has thousands of examples. But the good news is we threw Trump, with your help, we threw Trump out of the White House. The 2020 election, a coalition came together, a bipartisan coalition. It was a referendum. Trumpery? versus democracy. We overcame trumpery once. I think if we all work together, we can do it again. There's some terrible trumpery candidates around the country. My goodness, 
Uh, Doug Mastriano, he's a full-fledged election denier. Uh, he's embraced a big lie. He's the Republican and Trumpery candidate for governor in Pennsylvania. And we have AG candidates who are going to be on the general election ballot and secretary of state, for example, in Michigan, Trumpery candidates. So this Trumpery ticket is a problem. But, you know, the voters have also been rejecting some of these candidates. So I think there are solutions. As I like to say, hope comes in three boxes. The jury box, that's prosecution. The ballot box, that's voting. And the cable box, that's the January 6th (laughs) hearings that are coming. Norm, have you seen some of the commercials by some of these Trumpery candidates? I mean, I saw this woman get up, and it was on one of the programs, and she goes, I believe in babies, bullets, guns, and Donald Trump. And I sat there, and I was scratching my head, and I was like, oh, wait, she also said she believes in Jesus. And I sat there scratching my head, and I'm saying, get the fuck out of here. Are you kidding that that's going to be a commercial that you're going to put out and pay money for? Other people's money, no doubt, since nobody uses their own money, other than, of course, Trump, which in and of itself was a lie, right? So instead, she's talking about Jesus and babies and guns and bullets and Donald Trump. I don't understand how she thinks. But then again, maybe it works. I don't know. But how can anybody think that that's a good commercial to put out when you have a guy who so blatantly tried to overthrow the government, who's been lying since the day that he, you know, when he descended the escalator? The golden escalator. Well, Michael, the commercial is a perfect example of the hypocrisy Uh, the internal inconsistency of Trump. Because on the one hand, babies, you say you're pro-life. On the other hand, if you're in favor of bullets and guns, it's killing people. Look at the statistics, the United States. You know, we, we, we have by far the greatest number of children and adults who are being uh, murdered uh, because of the, the lack of reasonable gun regulation in this country. So you have the internal inconsistency between pro-gun and pro-life. Who better to celebrate in that kind of illogical world? I'm watching the fourth season or third season, the latest season of Stranger Things on uh, Netflix. And in that show, they have a whole parallel universe the upside down. They could easily call right, don't it. Don't tell me about it because I've seen Trumpery. I've seen the first three seasons, no but I have not seen the fourth. Alert. Okay, no spoiler right. alert necessary for for to know that there is this parallel universe, the upside down. Well, they could call that the world of Trumpery because their values, truth, consistency, logic—it's all upside down. No place is that more evident. And I write about it in Overcoming Trumpery with my wonderful co-authors, experts who have analyzed every aspect of this uh, this method of Trump's style of governance, corrupt, perverse. But there is a philosophy, a sick one, um, with the seven featuring these seven features, the seven deadly sins of Trumpery. Um, 
uh, 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 nowhere do you see that more than in the seventh and the deadliest sin. And that's what these January 6th committee hearings are going to get into, the attack on democracy. Okay, you can't say you want to America's about democracy. If you want to make America great again, how could you attack the thing that the most fundamental thing that makes us great, that makes us what we are, democracy, with an attempted coup? So uh, uh, that commercial is a perfect microcosm of everything that is wrong with Trump. You know, what really bothers me the most about all of this, and I say this a lot, there's been so many illegal actions done by Donald Trump that he has not been held accountable for. We can start with the simplest, the campaign finance violation of the payment to Stormy Daniels. We can start with that, where I pled guilty to campaign finance violation, which was done at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Clearly, I didn't get any benefit out of Donald Trump having an affair with Stormy Daniels, right? I mean, that took place years before I was even working for him. And yet, that, which is just this small thing, sent me, and in part, to prison for three-year sentence. But Donald was never held accountable for the actions that he did. And then, of course, that got pushed aside because the next crazy thing came, right? The, the Ukraine, the holding up the money for Ukraine. And then came the second impeachment. And then came, you know, the January 6th insurrection. And then a multitude of other illegalities in between here and there. And now all of a sudden we're talking about, oh, my God, right? The January 6th committee is going to get together. They're finally going to have live hearings. And they're finally going to put out a report like the Mueller report. What I say that we need to do, which is what, let's say, our, um, you know, Tish James here in New York, our attorney general is doing, hold him accountable for something, right? Now, that's a civil matter, not criminal. But if, in fact, that she's right about everything that she states, that will take his company. That will put him into bankruptcy once again, right? And the company will be no more. Does that stop him from his crusade? I'm not so sure at this point. I don't think he cares if he leaves the kids a single penny. Ivanka, you don't have to worry about because Jared has already grifted off the, you know, the UAE and Saudi Arabia to $3 billion. You got Don Jr. doing whatever stuff he's doing. Eric, who's as dumb as a stump, maybe has to go, maybe go work at McDonald's or something like that. But every, but this is the problem. We, we don't hold him accountable for any one thing and then just stay with it, right? We just move on to the next thing and the next thing. And that's not good. That's not good in order to protect democracy either. No, it, 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 you know, when you look at the litany of um, charges that uh, Trump dodged uh, and uh, uh, you ask yourself, you know, you and I have both followed closely from different perspectives. You were an important witness. There was proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Trump um, obstructed justice that Mueller investigated. The Ukraine behavior was, um, you know, that was uh, uh, extortion or bribery involving Vladimir Zelensky, a foreign leader, to release dirt on Trump's political opponent, 
using almost $300 million of taxpayer dollars, okay? Uh, and then you look at the Syvance investigation, proof beyond a reasonable doubt of business crimes, and all of these areas. As Daniels, stated by Mark Pomerantz and yes, Terry Dunn. In all of these areas, um, uh, and you are a witness for them, you know the power of the proof. Trump has miraculously dodged accountability, but Michael... I think that he's uh, going to face accountability. And the one six hearings are going to delve into this. The most likely place where he's going to face accountability now is in the states, particularly, I think, in Georgia. Very intrepid prosecutor, Tish James. We're going to learn new and shocking facts about, I believe, about the conspiracy um, to overturn the Georgia election, conspiracy to overturn no, that's the not, election. that's not Tish James. Yes, no, that's I'm coming Tish to James. Tish James. That's another example of a state leader like Tish James. That's Fannie Willis, the DA. Tish James right. is very tough, like DA Willis in Georgia. I she is she has not dropped the case, unlike Alvin Bragg. Shameful what he did. This is not the Alvin Bragg fan club on the mea culpa podcast and you were a witness so you really got jerked around by his decision terrible um when there why would he give a pass to trump when there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt but tish james is much tougher and i think she is looking we know she's looking at civil matters she does have some criminal jurisdiction i'm not ready to rule out that she decides to go that direction so that's He's clearly exposed in Georgia, where there's already a very active special grand jury. Who knows what Tish James will do? And then you come to the Department of Justice. I know you've had your differences with DOJ, including that 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 atrocious behavior where they tried to throw you back. They did throw you back. Not try. They did throw me they back. They did throw you back in custody, uh, and you got fortunately you you had good lawyers. You had the advantage that not every defendant has. You were able to get a judge, a federal judge, to slap them down. And you're entitled to answers about how that all happened. You still need answers. But there's a new administration at the Department of Justice. I do think Merrick Garland is going to. There's already signs that they're working their way up the ladder. They just issued a grand jury subpoena to Trump's aide, Peter Navarro, for all communications with Trump in the area relating to the election overthrow. So who needs I Peter Norm 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 who needs Peter Nav- is coming. Okay, but who needs Peter Navarro? We already have 2300 plus text messages from Mark Meadows showing yeah. the coordination, right? What do you need? How many more people do you need oh. in order, right, to to demonstrate that a crime was committed? You only need one. There's burner phones, there's Mark Meadows, there's Jim Jordan, there's I mean there's Josh Hawley, there's Don Jr., there's Eric Trump and Laura Trump and Donald himself for what is it? For 187 minutes disappears enjoying the the shit going on and frightening the cat this is just insane at this point you know and i'm gonna tell you i don't think the doj is any better today than it was under trump and let me just give you a quick personal so as you know i have a lawsuit against the united states government for the unconstitutional remand of me back to otisville 15 additional days in solitary confinement it's it's so awful 
It sure is. And so there are documents that we're looking for. And I then filed under FOIA, the Freedom of Information, mm -hmm. requests for all the documents pertaining to me and to this incident. And we did it with specificity and so on. And they acknowledged, because of the court ruling, that I was entitled to an expedited response yes. from the FOIA office. Absolutely. Okay. Well, eight months later, I finally receive, this is expedited for government. Eight months later, I finally receive a document that states there are no documents. How's that possible? That will satisfy. How's that possible? It's not. That will satisfy. And so then I hired a lawyer, a guy named Mark Zaid, who's yeah, like, this he's is my lawyer his too. world. I'll tell you my he, Mark Zaid stories. He's the best. He, he's the best. You so, have excellent you know what taste they ultimately, in lawyers because you also hired Danya Perry, who I often write with. No one better than Danya. She got you out. Absolutely, of, she got you out of that wrongful reincarceration. She's a powerhouse. So Norm, I hired. She is a powerhouse. And you hired Zade right. is a great on FOIA stuff. Okay, so how about this? They then respond back. There's four hundred and eighty-six thousand six hundred and eighty-one um, documents that they will need to review and turn over. But in exchange for this, and it's, it's like almost a year now, they can only provide me with 500 documents a month, which means that I basically have to wait 92 years before which I get all the documents. You understand why I say that the DOJ is fucked you up? Can't. That there is absolutely... You can. Yes, I understand. You why. can't make this. You can't support, make this stuff up. And I and so, want to be clear. I support my friend Michael on all the stuff relating to your case. I and support on this democracy, FOIA, but you can't judge the entire DOJ by the way they're handling your FOIA case. Garland is a man of integrity. I believe that the career prosecutors who are investigating these cases are going to take a hard look. Does the evidence substantiate the existence of federal crimes against Trump or those around him? And if it does, they're going to make a recommendation. He's not going to play politics. If there's a case, he's going to treat the former president the same as anyone. That is what led me to publish uh, my report just out, Big Brickings report, Trump on trial, a guide to the one six hearings yes. and the question of criminality, Michael. That's the question since I first met you. Basically, well, that you you've been me. asking. It's criminal. Why isn't the guy getting prosecuted? His time is coming. Well, okay, then you tell me then, what's your assessment on this newly released information? And who do you think will ultimately be prosecuted? Well, um, the um, you know, the the information continues to come out showing uh, that there was a likely conspiracy um, to uh, defraud the United States when Donald Trump tried to overthrow the election, including uh, uh, putting baseless uh, slates of electors. Uh, forward. They were encouraged by the Trump campaign and uh, trying to trick. You know, you cannot overturn the election. He was trying to pressure Congress. It's also likely that that was an obstruction of Congress. That's those statutes are 18 U.S.C. 271 and 18 U.S.C. 1512, respectively, for conspiracy to defraud and obstruction of Congress. 
Don't take my word for it. A very respected federal judge in California said that Trump likely and his co-conspirators likely violated those statutes. So I think that the new information we've seen, like the perhaps the most important is the body of Mark Meadows texts that have come out. Um, I think that um, that the that that is going to be um, um uh, elaborated upon, we're going to learn a lot more in these uh, January 6th committee hearings. And the level of proof is going to rise every time they hold a hearing. We know that these same questions are being investigated actively by the, the DA we mentioned in Georgia, Fannie Willis. I believe it is very likely that there's going to be charges filed as a result. And we'll see what happens in on the federal side these one six committee hearings, that's why we did our report, the one six committee. And we talk about both the federal and state law in there that uh, is implicated by these uh, new re- new document releases. I think that um, the uh, quantum of proof is going to move even more in the direction of prosecution by the time we get to the end of June and the end of these hearings. You know, well, look, Norm, I always say this since the first day we met. You're an incredibly optimistic I guy. I couldn't get out so, of bed in the yes, morning you are. without my optimism. <laughs> so, based on America's 230-year-long mm-hmm. history of reinventing itself, it appears that you're hopeful about America's prospects going forward. Now, answer me this then. What are the flaws in our system that we could fix right now that would ensure a comeback? Because... Unlike you, I'm not an optimist. I've been really kicked in the ass with steel-tipped boots, right? So I'm not an optimist. I would love to hear your take on this uh, one. Well, uh, it, is a, it is a challenge for my optimism, Michael, because we had the opportunity. <laughs> yes. We had the opportunity. But I'm going to tell you how you know optimism is on the ballot and why I think, uh, why I'm hopeful. Um, in Overcoming Trumpery, I do write about each of these areas and with my co-authors explain exactly what legislative and other uh, fixes are needed. For example, President Trump's emoluments. He took constitutionally prohibited, prohibited foreign government payments uh, while he was in the White House. Uh, th- we need to. That's in the Constitution. Clearly, it's not enough. We need to have a bill explaining uh, that uh, what the consequences are, maybe making it a crime to take the monuments. So there's a set of fixes like that in ethics, in rule of law, making DOJ more independent, uh, in uh, addressing weaknesses in um, our voting systems, campaign finance, and on and on. Okay, Congress didn't move those matters. Does that mean we should quit with these remedies? No. We need to keep going. If we can't get it in Congress, what can we get moved through state legislatures in the states uh, that are favorable to us? For example, I've been a proponent uh, in the state legislatures. One of the things I read about redistricting, we've had ups and downs in redistricting, but every single place where the Democrats put out a fair map, where they tried to do the right thing, they won. And as a result, we're in a much better position than we would have otherwise been. Now that sometimes the, the Democrats were not successful across the board, but I think when you look overall, 
it's turned out better than we might have hoped. So I think there's things that can be done. That's done in state legislatures. That's an example. Let's move other stuff through state legislatures when we can. But I take my most hope, you know, at the ballot box, the people rejected trumpery. We've seen, for example, they refuse to accept uh, uh, the Trumpist um, big lie candidates for governor and secretary of state in Georgia. Um, I don't know about that one. Yes, maybe in those two states, but he did. You know, he picked some he picked some, some real winners he and some elsewhere, like that, Mastriano. That he did. Mastriano. I'm That's right. Called shot, Michael. Mastriano is going to lose. That is going to be a referendum on Trumpery in November, and the good people of Pennsylvania. I married one. The good people of Pennsylvania are going to throw him out on his keister. Um, they do not want an election denier as their next governor. So, you know, I and then the jury box, I think there'll be prosecutions. And I think these hearings, the cable box, the hearings are going to explain to America, hey, this is what we write about in our Brookings report. It's not a January 6th insurrection. It began months before when Trump said he wouldn't accept the result unless he won. And it continued after, and it's still continuing today with the Mastrianos of the world. The insurrection never ended. It metastasized. So I think the hearings will help illuminate that. Yeah, well, let's not forget two years and two years and some change before that, I told the world that Trump would never accept the peaceful, uh, you know, uh, the results, and that there would never be a peaceful transfer of power under the guy. And he's never going to stop. So the only way to stop him is to hold him accountable, as far as I'm concerned, for his crimes. But let me ask you this, Norm, because you worked for President Obama. Did you foresee just how much his presidency would ignite a white panic, if you will. I mean, do you see the recent adoption of conspiracies like white replacement theory and hate groups like White Lives Matter as a reaction to his being no twice selected? And also, do you think that a regressive president like Trump was the voters, we'll call it a knee-jerk reaction to the changing color of American politics? Well, uh, look, Trump... Um stands uh, for racism. Michael, he doesn't try to hide it. When he says in Charlottesville that there were good people on both sides, you mean that the, yeah. good, the people yep. who were marching with tiki torches on white replacement theory and saying the Jews will not replace us. Uh, I don't think anybody who takes a tiki torch and chants the Jews will not replace us is a good person. I'm sorry. So there's no question. Trump has given aid, comfort, encouragement. He was signaling those militia groups, Michael, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Um, he was signaling and the them. The one percenters. The exactly. three percenters. He was signaling them. Three percenters. Um, on, in the run-up to the January 6th insurrection. Um, so, uh, and these are avowed, these include avowed uh, racists. So there's no question that Trump has given aid and comfort uh, to uh, these kinds of individuals. And uh, there's no there's no place for that. Norm, do you remember early on and I forget who was the um, the moderator in that? 
they asked Donald a very, very specific question. Do you denounce David Duke and what he stands for? And he could not get, maybe it was Sean Hannity, and he could not get Donald to come flat out and say, I absolutely denounce this man. I denounce everything that he stands for, starting with A and finishing with Z. There's nothing that the two of us agree on. Right, And he could not get him to do anything. In fact, the only thing Donald could do, because he's really stupid, is think that he could bullshit every viewer of that program when he said, I don't really know much about the guy. Look, that's, that in and of itself should have disqualified him no, from no question. a second term or even the, a first term it should be a disqualifying fact. You do not know who David Duke is? Seriously? Considering we already know that that's a lie? One of the 85 plus thousand lies that Donald Trump, you know, imparted upon the United States? 30,000. What's that? 30,000. Washington Post counted 30,000 30, lies. lies. 30,000 lies. So that, nah, maybe, nah, I'm sure I think if you count you may before have been and sleeping after, half the time. I'm sure if you count before, before and after the presidency, <laughs> it gets way above, way above 30,000. You know, um, the, um, the, 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 of course, we write a lot about those lies in overcoming trumpery. Um, the, um, the the David Duke one is is such a good example. The I do th I, I maybe you'll tell me I'm too optimistic, but Michael, that was part of what the American people rejected in 2020. They had enough of it. The whole trumpery show, all of the seven deadly sins. It was a referendum on trumpery, and I believe that if he runs again, that he'll meet the same fate. Part of the reason I wrote this book is to sound the alarm now early on Trump's heirs. I didn't call it overcoming Trump. Trumpery not only stands for this philosophy uh, of governance, these seven deadly sins. And by the way, we document that with hundreds of examples and case studies to prove that this is the definition of Trumpery. It also includes his heirs. The Ron DeSantis's, Josh Hawley's, the people who are exploiting uh, trumpery around the country. And of course, we're seeing many of them running uh, for the Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance. Don't tell me that J.D. Vance doesn't know better than Donald Trump's pack of lies. The largest of all the big lie that he won the election. Uh, Vance knows better, the primary candidate uh, uh, who uh, got Trump's blessing in Ohio and won uh, for the United States Senate. Dr. Oz knows better. They're kissing Donald Trump's ring for one reason and one reason alone, self-advancement. That's another one of the deadly sins of Trumpery. Sacrifice the public interest to your personal political gain. Donald Trump will sacrifice anyone or anything for his own gain. And these, these fools, these absolute fools, have learned from the best 
the worst lessons of life. And they're just, as you said, they're just following suit. But let me say this to you, Norm, because you acted as special counsel during the impeachment hearings. And this is a two-part question for you. First and foremost, why weren't the impeachment hearings more of a blow to Trump's presidency? And second, well, actually, it's a three-parter, right? So why weren't the impeachment hearings more of a blow to Trump's presidency? What could they have done better or differently? And then the second part, what can the January 6th committee in comparison do to ensure a better outcome? Because those impeachment hearings... To those people who would love Donald, bullshit, bullshit, yeah. witch hunt, yeah. right? To those people that hate Donald Trump, fuck him, he's guilty, he's guilty. Not one person, not one person changed their position as a result of those hearings. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's actually very interesting because we did some in the first impeachment based on Ukraine. We did find significant movement on some of the issues, including the issue um that um that that you're asking about um when you when you asked uh you know um what 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 could we have done uh differently what could have made a difference what could have moved the we'll people with, no, i'm sorry norm not to interrupt no not to interrupt you let's try to stay you yeah. know in the in the sequence sure. right so why weren't the okay impeachment so why weren't they, more of a why blow they more of a blow we were on the precipice in the first impeachment uh, Michael, um, we needed uh, a key witness. Um, and the key witness was John Bolton, Trump's national security advisor. He was the one person who I think could have turned around those hearings. And you ask about, you say, um, you know, they didn't convert people, but actually, by the end of those hearings, a supermajority of Americans, there was material movement in the polls, agreed that even ones who supported Trump said, hey, the impeachment team should have the right to call witnesses. The problem is that Bolton would not cooperate. He insisted on a subpoena. This, we didn't have the votes in the Senate to issue the subpoena. And um, that really was the, the Bolton was the missing ingredient. I think if we had gotten Bolton, uh, we would have been able to move the needle. But look, the real problem with those hearings was the senators were scared to of his own party, were scared to take on Trump. And here's what's so interesting. Only in the end, only Mitt Romney uh, was willing to vote to impeach Trump and Michael When he crossed the aisle to do that, do you know he was the first senator in the history of the United States to vote to convict uh, a president of his own party in an impeachment trial? So that was a historic um, uh, uh, first. Obviously, we needed 17. We got one. The second impeachment, by contrast, was seven times more effective. They got seven uh, GOP senators to say, hey, the impeachment based on the president's inciting the January 6th insurrection is wrong. It still fell short. It still fell short. Um, but it was it was better. Um, I think it's that failure of courage by the Republican senators, you know, but I don't think we could have. I think I, I have to say. 
I was part of the first impeachment team. I covered the second impeachment for CNN. Those were strong impeachments. What can the one six committee learn? They've learned one of the most important lessons. They've taken the time to talk to the witnesses and they've gotten a ton of witnesses from inside the Trump White House. We're going to see video footage of Ivanka and Jared. That's going to be extraordinary. People will watch. So I think they're already a step ahead in getting those critical witnesses. They don't have to meet that Senate threshold, 67 votes. That's a good thing. Um, you know, Kevin McCarthy was so stupid in not putting, um, in, in rejecting every effort to have seats on that committee and walking away from that committee. It uh, gives him no ability to uh, get in the way of the truth. So I think we're going to yeah. get a lot of truth. I think they will make strides that we were unable to make building on. They learned from these first two impeachments. So I think they'll they'll do even better. And I think you're, we're going to come out of these hearings with a majority of the American people understanding better what happened before, during and after January 6th, that the insurrection has not stopped and Donald Trump's part in it and the others who are responsible. Man, I'll tell you one thing, Norm. I would love to be able to bottle your optimism and sell it <laughs> because I would then I I would then Trump, for lack of a better word, Elon Musk is the richest guy in the world, right? I mean, your optimism your optimism is like nothing I've I've wow. ever seen before. And I wish I could share that same what optimism. Do you think I think is that the happen. January yeah. Because I, I, I think the January 6th committee, like the Mueller report, like the impeachment one and two, I think it's just going to fall flat on its face. Mm. I really do. And yes, people will watch Ivanka. People will watch Jared. But you're never going to get out of it the things that you want, where Ivanka sits there and, you know, has the fan blowing so her, you know, her extensions and shit are flowing. And she looks into the camera, puckers her lips after putting on some lipstick and shit and turns around and says, yes, my daddy, you know, daddy is a terrible, terrible man. And he was very happy about this. You're not going to get that smoking gun, that Ironside moment to those of, you know, you that remember the old show Ironside, where not everything Ironside. comes out. Raymond so Burr, Perry Mason. Yeah, it was the same. Uh, actor, you're right on that one. It too. was Perry Mason. So so you're not gonna, you're not going to get this, and what you're going to get out of this is a historical document that's going to show just how fragile this country's democracy really is. That everything our founding fathers were afraid of, Donald Trump became, which is that somebody who held the power of the presidency would want to be more than a president, would want to be an autocrat, a monarch, a dictator, and would use the power of the office to effectuate that. That's what we're going to need to see. But yet, but yet the Republicans are so good at advertising and marketing and bumper sticker slogans. It's all about the economy. It's all about your gas. It's all about not being able to get, you know, formula for your baby. Yeah, I get it. Those are mistakes. But without democracy, you're never getting your enfamilia, your Similac. You're never getting anything. It's going to all be dictated to you what you can and can't do. And I think people are so short-sighted by the Republican narrative that the Democrats have not literally, they have not responded 
Like, and I talk about Jamie Harrison all the time. You know, you want, why don't you get you, me, let's get the Midas brothers. Let's go get Lincoln Project, Rick Wilson, Tara Setmeyer. Let's go get David Hogg and a slew of other people. Roe v. Wade, no good, right? You talk about, you know, then we, we're going to talk about a half a dozen of the gun sensible gun legislation, right? That's good, but nobody wants to, nobody from the Democratic side wants to pound the shit out of what we really need. And that's, that's, that's our shortcoming. Michael, uh, the truth surely lies somewhere between my optimism and your pessimism. Um, <laughs> I hope so. You know, um, I like to think, and you were kind enough to have me on the podcast to talk about my last book before overcoming Trumpery, A Case for the American People, where I talk about also about all the wrongdoing, the impeachments, and uh, the case for the American people was the 2020 election and the referendum on Trumpery. I was right. It, you were right that Trump, you were the first to tell me, Michael, Trump is not leaving the White House voluntarily. You told me years beforehand when I first came up to New York and met with you to interview for the first impeachment. Uh, you say he's never leaving the White House on his own. 2018. You're going to have to. So you were the first. You got me focused on that. So your pessimism about his fight was accurate. But ultimately, my optimism that the American people would evict him and the system would follow through the Republicans came through and Democrats together, the judges, the 63 cases he lost, Michael, the Republican. And they're not. He not, lost 63 cases, Norm. But where is he right now? He's in Mar-a-Lago, well, right? The, Stuffing his fucking that, face. That. Seriously, running around the country promoting trumpery. Right. Um, with the Ron DeSantis's of the world and the Josh Hawley's and the you. Matt Gates and the, the yes. Vance and. I embrace the uh, Kohanic. That's the proper. Uh, that's the proper adjective. Your Kohanic pessimism. Um, for the listeners, Kohanic is the adjective we use for somebody named Cohen. Uh, it usually means a priestly. You're the high priest of pessimism, uh, Michael. So, amen. You're, we have to start from your uh, vantage point of what is the worst that can happen. Then, but I say, let's start there. Let's deal with it. Let's confront the reality, as I do in overcoming Trumpery, the terrible reality. Then let's say this: my optimism doesn't come in in the analysis. We need to be very rigorous. I would be a lousy lawyer if I weren't very rigorous in hey. What is the problem we face? What can help us solve the problem? My optimism comes in in my faith in America to rise to the challenge as we have. We have terrible sins in our history, but in every generation we're reaching, we're striving to do a little better. And how incredible that we were able to overcome trumpery. It was a very close call in 2020. Just how close sure we're going to hear from the January 6th committee. I'm not optimistic about what's going to happen in those hearings because of my uh, congenital flaw towards Rose half full rose colored glasses to combine two metaphors. I'm 
optimistic because I've studied what they've done. I've seen the evidence that has come out. I know the fundamental decency of most Americans. Yeah, I know. I and know. They're Norm, gonna I do know, a good job. Saw, they're gonna do a good job. And Michael. I saw that same I saw that same information and documentation with Alvin Bragg with the district attorney. Oh we know God. where that I was wrong. But let me on ask that you one. this thing. I admit yeah. I was right and right. I was wrong. Well, I, I was right because I wrote a long report saying there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. We now know Vance agreed. He was prepared to authorize. So that was all right. I didn't imagine that Bragg would come in and behave so wrongly. <laughs> me neither. Oh, my God. Let me no, you, that's right. January... You were optimistic because you cooperated. You kept going to that grand jury. You gave them documents. Oh, my God. They have thousands of documents, hundreds and hundreds of hours of testimony. Let, let me let me move forward right. for a second, because, you know, the January 6th hearings, as you know, they start next week. Right. Yes. And with the country still reeling from one mass shooting after another, yeah. after another, after another. I think there was like 21 since Uvalde. Could you imagine this? Do you think that the public even has the stomach for another depiction of mass violence and mayhem? And I mean. Are we really ready to see the truth? In your opinion, will they be able to effectively disprove the big lie? Um, yes. There's a tremendous amount of evidence. And I think so far the mixed primary results show that you can reason, even with GOP primary voters, Trump has not completely hypnotized them, but the rest of the country they're going to lay out the proof. They're going to tell the story. America loves a narrative. That's why we have so many streaming services. This will be the streaming equivalent of the Watergate hearings. They're going to condense them. It's going to be a six. Some press reports say six. Some say eight. It's going to be a multi-part series where in uh, 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 bite-sized doses, step-by-step, step, they're going to tell this story one of the most tragic stories of uh, of violence uh, in uh, disrupting a peaceful transition that we've had in over a century in the United States. So, yes, I think they have all the ingredients to succeed. You know, I'm in it. I'm in that CNN documentary. Yes. Uh, the one with John Dean and Watergate yeah. and so on. And, um, you know, it's uh, it should be interesting and i think a lot of people will start to see the similarity that exists between richard nixon and donald trump in terms of how they viewed the presidency and the people around him that's what i think is going to be the most telling but let me ask you this because on the same note in the era of alternative facts two americas have emerged right will will we ever share one general version of the truth again right or even see the difference between right and wrong the same the same way? Or do we just have to learn to live with the division that Donald Trump has really sowed? Well, you know, first of all, I would submit to you that Trump only exploited the division Agreed. that existed before him. This, this, I uh, take that these back. alternative right. realities have always existed. He made them worse. We know that over the course of American history that those those divisions fluctuate. They go up, then they decline. Typically, when we have an external adversary, that creates great unity. Uh, at the peak uh, of the um, 
Gulf War, George H.W. Bush had over 90 percent approval. Uh, so, you know, those external challenges bring us tend to bring us together as a country. Um, uh, so I, I, I guess I want to answer your question by saying that um, and again, it does go to my it does go to my desire. I get up in the morning and I, I, I want to be realistic about the challenges we face, but I want to be hopeful about how we can overcome them just to inspire myself and, and my family and friends a little bit. I talk to these trumpery adherents on a retail basis. When I was just in Arizona, my Uber driver was a Trump adherent. Sometimes meet them on the street when they visit Washington, D.C., even family members who are supporters, people in my synagogue. And when you talk to them one on one, these my family members who've fallen for trumpery for whatever reason, they're not evil, wicked people. They're not the same people who are marching through Charlottesville. Uh, so I'm going to shock you now. When I say, when I quote, I paraphrase your old boss, and I say there are good people on both sides of trumpery. The problem is these are cult members, Michael. They've fallen into a cult. How do you deal with it if you have a family member who's in a cult? What do you do? I don't know. I was in that cult. How do you? Well, I don't know. I read Maya culpa. You always. I was. I was. Yes. I was yes, in, you I were. Was in the cult. You were. And you came to you 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 came out of it when you saw the consequences. Let's face it, you saw the devastating consequences for you and for your family as a result of being in the cult. To your credit, unlike these people who Steve Bannon or Mark Meadows or Peter Navarro, who we talked about, or Dan Scavino, Dan Scavino, they're yep. still in the cult. Look, even Ivanka and Jared cooperated. Um, over a thousand people have cooperated, many from within Trump's circle. So how do you deal with people? That's the way I will answer your question. We have 30 percent of Americans who in some of my dearest friends, Michael, who I'm I'm good with on every other issue. But when you bring up Trumpery or Donald Trump or the policies of Trump or some policy that they love, it's like they fall into a trance, many of them. How do you deal Let's with them? About How do you deal with them? With the answer is my one of my mentors, the late great beloved uh, John Lewis, who said to me when I was doing the impeachment, the day we voted in the House for impeachment, he saw me in the hallway, the day of one of the votes, one of the big hearings. He saw me in the hallway and he grabbed me by the arm. He loved to do this. He would clutch my arm with that strong grip. As he said, Norm, impeach him, but do it with love. And he was giving me a very important message. Don't fall into hate. And we have to deal with this. 30% of our country are in a cult right now. We have to deal with I'm them with more love. Good, nah, I'm thinking more a good solid <laughs> slap not, across the side I know, of the head. It's not you the know, New York maybe, way, I don't know, Michael. Man. You know, it's, it's not the New it's York not, it's way. It's not even the human. It's not even. It's not even a human way, right? You can't. You can't have somebody sit there and promote bullshit and then just simply be, uh, love them to death so that they stop. It's just one line. And let me Rebut talk to you about, them. for example, no, one argue topic with here. them. Talk to them. You Listen to them. Uh, 
Didn't your mom ever, didn't your mom or your grandma ever tell you you can't argue with stupid, right? These people are stupid. Not all. And they're they're thinking. No, I'm thinking Their thinking is stupid. It's wrong. They they have wrong ideas. Let's talk about this one. They have wrong ideas. And that's stupid. And that's stupid. So let's so let's just jump into <laughs> this. Tough, talk about man. another stupid you are issue. Tough. Okay. Let's talk about another issue right. that's stupid. Guns. Yes. Right? Guns. There are there are apparently like 400 million guns floating around this country. Can you imagine 400 million guns? Oh that's gosh. more guns than we have oh people my, living oh in this my country. Lord. How in the hell are we ever going to make any headway on a behemoth problem like guns and gun safety? Especially when you've got an entire party, and I'm talking about the GOP, whose identity is wrapped up in the Second Amendment and having the right, right to protect themselves. You see, Norm... I can't see how any of their excuses hold up anymore. But guns are a, they're, they're a, they're a lot, they're, they're like a heck of a lot of people are willing to die for. I mean, where do we even start here? Knowing, and by the way, I believe in the Second Amendment. I myself, you may remember this, I myself was licensed to carry in the city and state of New York. I was licensed to, I believe in it, but an AR-15? Seriously? Well, we have By an 18 year old. Huh? We have 120 guns in the United States for every hundred people. It's more than twice the amount. It tallies out, as you point out, uh, because we have uh, over 300 million Americans. It tallies out to about 400 million guns. The next highest, by the way, are Yemen and Serbia. Yemen has about 50 guns per 100 people. And Serbia has about 40 guns per 100 people. So it's no wonder that you see the that you see the number of um, of these uh, terrible gun related incidents in the United States. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, I think that it is a tragedy for our country. And it is there are two issues at the moment that are the hardest ones for my optimism. And by the way, uh, they're the hardest ones. And that's guns. And it's where you started us, Michael, in your usual shrewd way. Guns and abortion, right? Pro How can you have be pro-gun and pro-life when the guns are used to kill so many people? And the politics, no I'm much more... I won't say I'm pessimistic, but I'm at my least optimistic when I look at what the Supreme Court is about to do, what they have done on guns with the Heller decision and what they're about to do on abortion and the way that this. But it goes back to our 30 percent, because actually it turns out most Americans and this is good news, Michael. Most Americans do want reasonable gun regulation. Most Americans do support uh, uh, reasonable choice options for women. So um, there is a uh, a majority, a supermajority on these issues. The problem is that the politics are broken. And by the way, when I was talking to you about how do you approach members of a cult, when I talk one-on-one with my friends and family about Trump, about guns, about choice, those people, when you do it, in a non-hostile way, they shut down if you're hostile. But when you you take the time, the patience, you use the arguments and the evidence, reasoning, they do thaw out. They do admit, oh, that's a good point. 
So that's unfortunately, we have to do that with over 100 million Americans. That's a lot of work. So I'm a little less yeah, I, optimistic Norm, Norm, on spe- guns and abortion. Norm, save, save the time in the in the debate a, a slap. All right, trust me when I'm <laughs> telling you this. Because Never. what happens is they've been watching, they've been watching Fox News and Newsmax and OAN, and they have all the counterpoints which are predicated on lies and bullshit and alternative facts, and they're just going to tell you your facts are wrong. Right. You're, it, you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Right. That's just what they do. But you know what? As we're moving on, I'm going to tell you, because one of the big problems that we have in this country, and you and I have talked about this, is dark money. Right. Dark money, like the NRA, has infiltrated our system. And for the most, you know, and for the most part, completely ruined the reputation, as far as I'm concerned, of the Supreme Court. Because we know that Trump's three Federalist Society judges were all bought and paid for. So then how do we ever take back the court? And further than and further to that, you know, how can we overturn Citizens United and keep dark money out of politics altogether? It's a very important um question for us to end on i tackle it extensively the contents of the policy uh in overcoming trumpery in 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 my political lifetime michael we had a um filibuster proof majority in the senate we had a powerful majority in the house and we had the White House. That was when I uh, went to work for Barack Obama, the first bus in from his swearing in. We went to the White House, the skeleton crew, to take the keys from the Bush people. Um, we will, that moment will come again. And the, the, we are going to need to do, make a series of structural changes when that moment comes. We have got to end the filibuster. The founding fathers never envisioned that there would you would need uh, a, a 60 vote majority in the Senate to do anything significant. And the first thing we do when we end the filibuster, or one of the first things we do, we've got to increase the size of the Supreme Court. This is not a legitimate Supreme Court. This Supreme Court exists because um, uh, they blocked Merrick Garland. And then the same people who said, oh, no, Obama can't get his nominee in a uh he can't get his nominee in an election year they rushed amy coney barrett through when ruth bader ginsburg died in the very tail end of an election year for a president who was on his way out of office we can't have that so it's not a legitimate court we're gonna have to change the filibuster in the senate we're gonna have to change the structure of the court and then we'll be able to get some of the policies we need and we need to build towards those majorities just putting one foot in front of another and uh, keeping the uh, the American project in mind. Uh, and uh, uh, that is the task. And now we have to get to work on it. OK, but, you know, like I do, that that whole concept about increasing the size of the Supreme Court, which is permissible, it's permissible under the Constitution, is not going to happen. 
Why isn't why isn't it going to happen? Because it doesn't serve the benefit of the GOP, and they will do everything within which to stop the increase. And as you may have heard, Joe Biden said the other day, and correctly, you know, that's the one thing that you have to love about him. It's his it's his honesty and his authentic, um, you know, nature, where he said, I don't have the right to just go ahead and do that. I have the right for executive orders. Trump, in the other hand, would turn around and say, fuck you, I'm the king. Norman, you don't seem to understand. I am the king. If I want 32 people, 33 people on the Supreme Court, if I want 61 people, 61 persons on the Supreme Court, I can have whatever I want because I am Donald. I am King Donald and no one's going to tell me what to do while I'm president. And, And that's the problem. But it's also the solution because that attitude led the American people to throw him out. We are going to have to muddle through. It is terrible. I cannot bring my usual optimism to bear on the gun problem or the abortion problem. We are going to be in a bad place for a while, but we have no choice but to vote, to turn out, to build. We have a rock to build on, Michael. Super majorities of Americans, fully 70 percent, more than two thirds of the country believe in the right solutions on guns, on choice, and on trumpery. So we just have to figure out how to tap that 70%. And uh, we got to work at it every day. And the answer to that is something I talk about on Mea Culpa all the time. It's joining these types of movements, like the Mea Culpa movement and others, and getting out there (laughs) and voting. But more than than just that, it's... You, you have to, and we need, need, need desperately the Democratic Party, the DNC, Jamie Harrison. We have to get the proper messaging in order to combat the lies, the misinformation, the disinformation, the malinformation being put out and spewed daily and multiple times daily by the GOP. Otherwise, you know, I'll have zero optimism. Well, I can't have that happen. I can't have you have I come on your show and leave you with even less optimism than you started. That would be wrong. <laughs> I want to be clear. I'm realistic, right? Let's but we can achieve. We can start by achieving accountability for Trump and those around him, Michael. Your voice, this podcast is important. Hope comes in three boxes: the ballot box, the jury box, and the cable box. So let's achieve that. And then let's build on that going forward. I'm so grateful to you for having me back on the podcast. I love it. Norm, it's so good to see you. Thank you, my friend. And rest assured, you will be back because I need your optimism. I wouldn't have it any other way. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, my friend. And now for today's mea culpa. With mass shootings happening literally every day, Biden's speech pleading with Congress to pass safe gun laws echoed the chants he heard on the streets of Uvalde. Do something. Biden, though certainly receptive to the country's pain, shows no sign of backing down on this issue. And it's about damn time we see Joe Biden, the fighter, use every tool afforded to him by the presidency to stop this crisis of domestic terrorism. That's not just killing our kids, but killing our collective spirit. 
How much more carnage are we willing to accept? Biden calling out Republicans, demanding that they end their decades-long blockade of safe gun control measures is exactly what's needed. Biden finally sounded like he'd reached a breaking point when he said, and I quote, the fact that the majority of the Senate Republicans don't want any of these proposals even to be debated or come up for vote, I find unconscionable. Personally, I like the tough talk, but I like action better. Biden and the Democrats can't quit now. It's time to start naming names and stop pretending that most Republicans and Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema aren't being paid to sit down and shut the fuck up while killers run rampant in our streets. As we head into the midterms, I've said it before and I'll say it again. We have to stay angry, folks. We have to call out the lies when we see them. Call on our representatives, volunteers, poll watchers to counterbalance the actions Republicans are taking to steal elections and upend our electoral system. And keep pushing to repeal the Second Amendment and break the NRA. It's just a matter of policy change. It's that fucking easy. If they make it hard, we vote them out. Across the board, I'd like to see Democrats get tougher and stop playing ball with Republicans who are living in an alternate universe where Biden's not the real president and anyone who's not a white Christian is the enemy. Willful ignorance is the enemy, and the truth is all that matters. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. 